This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, let's kick it off now and talk about uh, the Airplane Creek Memorial. And this is a story that, for people who know their military history in British Columbia, their aviation history, uh, they will know the story well, but I think it, it deserves to be known better, too. Uh, let's discuss now with my guests. I'm very honored to welcome them today to Canadian veterans, Captain Ron Shore, who was involved in the uh, the Airplane Creek Memorial Project. Ron, thank you for coming on today. Uh, thanks for having us. Also on the show, uh, on the line, is Captain Ted Bowman, retired. Uh, Ted is the chairman of 879 Wing of the Royal Canadian Air Force Association. Ted, thank you for being here today. It's my great pleasure, Mike. Thank you for having me. All right, gentlemen, I'm very, I'm very grateful to both of you. I'm, I'm honored to have you both on, and thank you for your service to Canada. Hey, Ron, let me go to you first. Can you briefly talk about your... You're still serving in the military, right? Yes, I'm a cadet instructor, yes. Yeah, that's, that's great. How long have you been in the, in the military? Uh, well, almost 25 years. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you for your service. And, and Ted, you're retired now, right? Where did you, where did you serve? Yes, that's right. Well, I had the uh, great pleasure of working with a number of units here in the local Vancouver area, and uh, so from Richmond to Chilliwack. Thank you to both of you for your service to our, our country. Ron, let me go to you first. Let's, let's talk about the Airplane Creek Memorial, and maybe you could go over the story of what happened. If we go back to June 1st, 1945, it was very close to the end of the war. Uh, let's talk about this this terrible accident, training accident that happened that day. Can you tell us the story briefly? Sure. Uh, basically, on June 1st, 1945, uh, KK241 was leaving the Abbotsford Airport. It took off just after 9 o'clock in the morning. It was a, a cold and rainy day. And they were doing a, a training mission uh, to go. The victory in Europe had already been achieved. And they were training to go over to Southeast Asia to help in the in the Pacific conflict. They were supposed to go from Abbotsford to Penticton, up to Revelstoke, and then back to Abbotsford. <clears throat> About 30 minutes into the flight, uh, something must have gone wrong in the air, air, aircraft, and they actually hit the top of Mount Welch, um, literally, literally within 20 feet of the right wing of the top of the mountain. They hit the side of the mountain head-on. All people in, on board were, were killed, and... <clears throat> All 11 of the airmen, uh, they, they, it was the largest search and rescue mission in Canadian history at the time. It took 17 days and over a million kilometers flown to try and find where the plane crashed. Uh, they didn't have a lot of radar installations then to be able to find out where, they, where it had crashed. And for the most part, after, after that happened, it had been forgotten. But the air cadets of 861 Silver Fox in Abbotsford, which um, that's how I actually met uh, Captain Bowman. He was the commanding officer there. He took over from another commanding officer, and uh, he told him about this crash site. And uh, in 1983, the cadets there had actually gone up to try and find the wreck. And with the help of uh, Dean Lundstrom, he was a cadet at the time, who's now currently serving as an air cadet instructor, found the crash site 
and they erected a, a large memorial on top of one of the old engines at the crash site. And so uh, in 1983, the cadets of 861 went up every year to maintain the monument. And over the years, with the change of command, etc., it would had kind of been kind of been forgotten about. So uh, Captain Bowman asked me uh, to take a group of cadets from the Chilliwack um, uh, Air Cadet Squadron to find out what happened to that original memorial. So we took a group of cadets up, and myself and another officer, and we went up, and we actually found the memorial. But it had been it had been eroded underneath it by by Airplane Creek, and it had now fallen face down in the middle of the river. Wow! And so wow. we're just going like, if this was my father who had died in this plane crash, is this any any way to honor our war dead? And so we 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 actually talked to the Army and the Air Force, and in 2015. Uh, we decided that we'd we'd put together a, a good team, including people like Norm Friesen, who was an architect, and he gave a rendering of what the monument could look like. And so we raised the funds, and we said, if we're going to have, if we're going to build a beautiful new memorial, and I have to send a shout out to Heritage Canada because they helped raise, a, they helped uh, grant a lot of the money to be able to build this memorial. Yeah, and. Uh, and so Norm put this great artist rendering together of what it could look like, and we approached the community, and the community absolutely was amazing. Chilliwack and Abbotsford and the legions in Abbotsford and and the Pacific Command around, uh, around BC donated as well. And we said we have to have the families. So we found families of the people who had died in that crash. They flew in from Norway. They flew in from England. They flew in from New Zealand. And now there's another 15 families from one of the members who died, uh, John Randall Dale. Fifteen of his grandchildren want to come back to Canada to remember their grandfather in that crash. So we had a, a big memorial with, uh, with air cadets from, from the Lower Mainland and the families. And all of that information is actually at airplanecreek.com. So right. it's a permanent memorial of what happened during the crash. All right, welcome back to our Remembrance Day programming as we continue to remember the crash in 1945 of a Royal Air Force bomber on a training mission near Chilliwack, and 11 Royal Air Force members killed that day, and it was the largest loss of life in British Columbia during the war. Um, my guests are Captain Ron Shore, Captain Ted Bowman, retired, and we're talking about their great work to remember uh, remember the men and the lives who were lost that day. Ted, uh, Ron did a great job telling the story of what happened. It, it's tragic that this accident happened so late in the war, right? I mean, the war was almost over by that point, right? That's true. Uh, and, and, you know, that it really is tragic when you think, gosh, we're on the, on the finish line. Uh, I know from the uh, discussion we had with some of the family members who uh, attended the uh, launch of the memorial that the feeling at the time was, you know, we just got a few more weeks of this. It's almost over. Uh, you know, we'll be back home before we even know it. And sadly, it just shows how fragile life is at any moment. It, you, you can be swept away. So, yeah. yes, that was very tragic. Yeah, and it sounds like the where the plane crashed into that mountaintop, Ted, very difficult to get up there, right? Like, the, the men who died, they're, they're buried on the mountain, correct? Yes, that's correct. It, it was just too difficult to remove the deceased from the mountain. 
Um, you think today, oh gosh, we'll just send a, a helicopter up or something. But back in the day, that was an arduous trip of several days and extremely mountainous conditions that was technical rope work to get the um, recovery party in. It just wasn't practical. And so we were very pleased that there was a, a, a tribute made up at the crash site. But one of the challenges we had was that as we sat and talked about it, we realized that the families of these men were likely never going to get to the crash site. It was just too arduous a journey. And so it was very important to us to consider a place where everyone could come, access the monument easily, and pay their, their tribute. Right, and that's where the, the permanent monument is as accessible now, right? For people who want to see the monument, and it's beautiful, by the way, where, where can they go to see it? Well, you can head down uh, along the, uh, uh, the, uh, the river that goes into uh, Cultus Lake, and you'll find on the south side of the road a lovely park, um, which is a, just a perfect site because it gives you a vista over to the mountain where the aircraft came down, uh, there's the sort of tranquility of the river running by, and it's easily accessible. You don't have to get into your Jeep or put on your hiking boots to, to do this. This must have been uh, a really wonderful experience for both of you to be, to be involved in this project, to remember these men who, who died on that day. And, and Ted, uh, as Ron mentioned, that you had interest in, from family members in uh, the UK and elsewhere, like the men who died there, were they mostly British uh, British airmen who died on the on the plane that day? Yes, yes, they were. Yeah. And uh, so, as Ron mentioned, uh, this casts a net across the entire world uh, as we started trying to uh, contact people to uh, to let them know about the memorial. Um, Ron didn't have a chance to share with you the the efforts, and believe me, they were extreme to track people down. There were some very tenuous leads to try and get a hold of uh, of uh, relatives, and we're very pleased that we had the response that we've had so far, and we also have indications from many of the family members that they will be trying to come back again, or for wow. some people come for the first time. So we're very excited about that. Wow, that's amazing! And, you know, yeah. It, there, there are efforts that are ongoing. Um, I, I don't know whether you remember that uh, in Chilliwack, there was a project started in 1941 to plant blue hydrangeas to uh, celebrate the, uh, the service of uh, Canadians that were lost during the war. And uh, those efforts are carried on by groups like the uh, Royal Canadian Air Force Association, the uh, Canadian Legion, there are a number of groups who continue to try and maintain these symbols. And when we talk about the monument, one of the greatest issues about getting that in place and having it available today was to form an organization to provide for the maintenance of that facility. And so to me, it's very, very important that we don't overlook some of these symbols from the past that uh, someone remains as a steward to keep alive that, uh, that tradition. I hold the belief that a person is not truly dead until they're forgotten. And so we consider ourselves stewards to keep that spirit alive. And on the occasion of Remembrance Day, I think we need to deal with this today, sort of perhaps as Shrek would have done and say, there's layers to this. First <laughs> off, we want to thank our veterans. But we also need to take this moment to find inspiration because we will never acquire aspiration to greater achievement 
until we reflect on the inspiration that has come from the past. And so Remembrance Day should also be uh, an occasion for us to stop and reflect on the lessons of the past and check our course for the future. I certainly agree with that. I think that's beautifully said, Ted. And speaking to Captain Ron Shore, Captain Ted Bowman on, on Remembrance Day, we just got uh, just a little under two minutes left here, Ron. Could you briefly comment on the, the importance of Remembrance Day to you? Because I know you talk to a lot of kids who uh, get excited when they learn about the history too, right? Yes. Uh, just a quick correction on that. The the um, the uh, the park where the the memorial is located is up seven kilometers up Chilliwack Lake Road, and it's located at Thompson Regional Park. There's actually been more than fifty thousand people come to that memorial to remember those men. So it's it's really a tribute to the men who who passed. Um, I, yesterday, I had the great opportunity to talk to five hundred school children in Surrey at an elementary school. And I was so touched by how the teachers had put together this incredible Remembrance Day service. And, of course, they couldn't gather in the gym, so they li- the grade 7 class live-streamed it to the rest of the, of the school. And they had, they had a couple of things that were really poignant. They cut out little squares that represented 100 men for every, people, every soldier who had died. And going back to the early 1900s, World War II, uh, World War I, the Korean War. And by the time it was done, the number of red squares was overflowing this very large table. And it was really poignant because all the, all the school children had something to say, had something to remember, the indigenous uh, veterans, the, all of so many different things. Um, that happened. And it's just like, it gave me great inspiration to see these young people remembering the veterans who have given their lives or served in this country. And they, I even had questions from their students asking, well, have they learned much about PTSD? Mm. And it, which was not well known in World War II. And a lot of people suffer from it from the things that they've seen during the Afghanistan war and other conflicts around the world. Okay. And so even the kids today are, are learning about these things. And it's, it's a real tribute to our veterans. Gentlemen, it's been a great honor to have both of you here today. Thank you to both of you for your service to Canada and the wonderful work you're doing to honor our our veterans. So thanks a lot for being here on Remembrance Day. Captain Ron Shore, Captain Ted Bowman, really appreciate their time today. Thank you, guys. All right, welcome back to the show. It's our Remembrance Day edition of the program. And do you have a loved one who served Canada in the armed forces? Here's what I would like you to do for me today. Phone the buzz line today and leave a Remembrance Day tribute and memory. And we'll play as many of them as we can today. This is our tradition on the show. We did it last year, too. So this is your opportunity on Remembrance Day if you have a, member, a family member, a loved one who served Canada, give them a shout-out. Remember them. Phone me on the buzz line. We'll play as many as we can. Here's the number. 604-331-BUZZ is the number. 604-331-2899. Leave a voicemail there, and then we'll play as many as we can during the show today. Here is one that uh, just came in a short time ago. Let's have a listen to it. My father was in the Normandy invasion in '44. He... Um mentioned a town called Benny sur mer when they came off the English Channel onto the French coast and the, uh, they were off to one side of a place called Caen where the Germans were holed up and he said he'd never seen so many bombers come through. He said it was three waves of about 500 bombers each. They basically flattened Caen as the Germans were putting up a lot of resistance there. When they finally got 
through France, they went up through Belgium, and then their final push into uh, into Germany. He got an infected shoulder from sleeping in the dampness of the slit trenches, and uh, he ended up in the south of England at the end of the war. But what I remember most was he said the Germans were fighting with anybody that was upright and warm, even little kids. And um, he he said the ambulances were coming out as fast as the troops were going in. It was basically a mobile slaughterhouse. The Germans were fighting for their life. But, uh, yeah, my father went through the Normandy invasion, and uh, he came home. But uh, like a lot of veterans, he didn't talk a lot about it because I guess the horrors of war, thank God I never had to live through it. Okay, wow. Thank you for for that call and those memories. Man, oh man, his father was in the thick of it there for sure. So keep those calls coming today, okay? It's a great opportunity to pay tribute to a loved one or someone you know who was uh, who served Canada on Remembrance Day, all right? 604-331-BUZZ is the number. 604-331-2899. And we'll play more throughout the show today. Okay, it's a holiday today, but the news goes on. And one of the headlines today is the Canada-U.S. land border uh, finally reopened to traffic uh, for people to drive across the border into the United States on non-essential travel. Again, that's the good news. But for a lot of people, though, that PCR test requirement, this is the one where you have to show that negative COVID test coming back into Canada. I think it's uh, really driving down the number of people who want to travel. Should that PCR test requirement be dropped? That is certainly the call from BC's tourism sector. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Walt Judas, CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of BC. Walt, thanks for taking the time today. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. You, you bet. And Walt, you and your colleagues were speaking out on this issue yesterday. Can you give me your take on it, on that PCR test, and, and why you think it's time to drop it now? Well, if you go back a little bit, Mike, and it's a good question, we lobbied for months to compel the federal government to reopen the border to the United States and other countries two non-essential visitors who have either been vaccinated or tested. They finally did that in August, and we saw many Americans in particular cross the border in August. Most were here to visit with friends and family, or they went to their vacation homes. But we did not see the large volumes of Americans consistently crossing the border in the months hence. By August, most people had either taken their vacations or they already had plans to go elsewhere. So we really didn't enjoy much of the season, at least for the peak period of tourism, which is normally during the summer months. So what we're recommending now is to try to eliminate more of those barriers that prevent people from visiting from a business perspective or for non-essential travel. So we're suggesting to the federal government, take the advice of the expert advisory panel that you've employed and eliminate the PCR test for fully vaccinated travelers. It's extremely costly, it's inefficient, and it's unnecessary for people to cross the border. Okay, so now that we've got the border reopened for non-essential travel, well, do you do you see a clear evidence that that PCR test is just, you know, it's 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 discouraging people from traveling, right? What are the numbers? Are you seeing any kind of any kind of increase in travel at all or is it a small one or 
What do you well, see? Well, let me give you a really good example. And much of it's anecdotal because a lot of our data is a couple of months behind. But when you look at a destination like Victoria, for example, they're seeing about 5% of the international visitors that they would normally see at this time of the year. When the marine border opened, coincidental with the land border, the coho, which sails from Victoria to Port Angeles, Washington, was pretty much full of snowbirds heading south. But in return, there were only a handful of passengers from the U.S. uh, visiting Victoria. So you can see that there is a significant difference in, uh, not, in, in still having those barriers in place between what we previously enjoyed for visitation and what we typically enjoy. Let me throw some other numbers at you. Sure. Going back to 2019, if you take the period from January to August, which I'll draw a comparison again to the same period in 2020 and 2021, but from January of 2019 to August 2019, In British Columbia, we welcomed about 4.6 million international overnight visitors. That is people that spent at least one night in our province. So if you look at the same period last year, that number dropped to 793,000, with most of those visitors arriving in the first three months of the year because um, we still had our borders open. But the nuance in that number is that it also included same-day visitors. So then if you look at the same period for this year, the total number of international visitors who stayed again a night in the city was down to 209,000. So you can see there is a a, a massive impact on our visitor economy of not having international visitors. And look, I I need to stress, nobody is suggesting that uh, we don't take the necessary health and safety precautions. We all want to do that. But the fact is, if we're all able to enter a sporting event or go to events or go from table to table in a restaurant because we're fully vaccinated, it doesn't make sense that if somebody drives 500 meters across the border in Blaine to get gas, they need to have a $200 PCR test to come back into Canada. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm speaking to Walt Judas, Tourism Association of BC, about that PCR test requirement for travelers returning to Canada and you mentioned that there was an expert panel, Walt, had been assembled and made some recommendations on this point. Did that, what did that expert panel recommend? Did they recommend dropping the test? They did. They said, first right. and foremost, they, uh, they would eliminate the test. And if, uh, if that still proves to be very difficult, then perhaps have a, a test 10 days after people arrive in Canada, just, just to check, just to double check. And What we're saying is, look, eliminate the PCR test, but if you're concerned about doing that in one fell swoop, perhaps allow the more reasonable antigen test and allow those tests to be taken upon arrival. So that's that's perhaps an alternative, but at the very least, I think what we're also suggesting to government is, look, give us a sunset clause on the PCR test. Give us a timeline. Tell us the criteria by which it will be eliminated. What are you aiming for? And that way we can plan because we have planning now underway for international visitors, but it's difficult to project for, say, the meetings and events sector. They're uh, organizing those events now, and they have no idea how many international delegates they'll see if there is still this barrier of the PCR test. The cruise line, similarly, 
They're beginning to market their sailings now, yet government hasn't provided any clear direction on on what passengers will need to board ships. Although one can presume that if you're sailing from Seattle and you have to stop in Victoria or Nanaimo or Prince Rupert, those passengers won't be able to get off the ship absent of that test. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the real frustrations is the lack of any kind of direction or signal from government about what sort of timeline they're looking at for a review. I mean, you had a Canada's medical health officer, Dr. Teresa Tam, last week saying, well, you know, we're, we're actively looking at this and we just want to reassure everyone that we're looking at this quite carefully. Well, you know, that that doesn't really mean much. We don't know when. Like you want a timeline, right? So people, like you said, so people can plan. That's exactly it. And that's the yeah. problem that we faced when, if you recall, the borders were closed. It was sort of indefinitely, but they kept offering us a monthly timeline. So they would say, well, we're looking at it's closed until July 21st. But as we encroached on that date or even a couple of weeks before, we had no idea whether they would adhere to that. And they kept extending it month over month. Well, that just meant a whole slew of cancellations. The airlines parked their planes. We really couldn't do anything to project or predict or even plan for visitors, and we had to write off the season. And we're kind of in a similar situation now because all kinds of sectors are gearing up for either later this year, the holiday season, and in particular for next year. They're booking business now, and absent of, of any clarity, it's very, very difficult to do that, and people are hesitant about uh, reserving any vacations yeah. in, in British Columbia or Canada. Right. Speaking of, Walt Judas is my guest, Tourism Industry Association of BC, talking about that PCR test requirement still in place to cross the border into Canada at the land border. Um, when, when you take a look at the, the, the travel outlook here, I mean, it's too bad that this test is in place still right now. Maybe it's a holiday today. A lot of people will will take a long weekend this weekend. Then you've got the Christmas travel season approaching. I mean, now is the time to give some clarity to the sector. I mean, is it too late for for Christmas? I mean, if the, you could get some you could get some signal from government soon, could you save maybe part of a Christmas season? Yeah, one would hope, and in particular, yeah. I think of the the ski resorts around the province who normally are filled with people at Christmas time from the U.S. and international destinations. I know in talking to my colleagues in Whistler, they haven't seen those advanced bookings like they normally see at this time of the year. And and so that's, I think, where the biggest concern lies is, is for those businesses that normally cater to people during the winter months. Uh, There's a lot of them aside from ski resorts. And they aren't seeing those bookings now because of that barrier. And, you know, if you've got a family of five and your dream vacation is to travel to Big White or one of the interior mountains, and now you're layering on not only the extra $1,000 to come into Canada, but still if you're flying, you require an antigen test to get into the United States, it's another $500. That can prove to be a barrier. Last last question for you while looking further out. You know, a lot of organizations, let's say they're they're maybe thinking about a convention or a big meeting in Vancouver. I mean, is that test a barrier to planning, like even if they're looking a year down the road? No question. The fortunate part is we are seeing a lot of those bookings come back. So the likes of Vancouver and Victoria, there's great pent-up demand. People want to meet again. 
But I think where the difficulty lies is if you normally have a 5,000-person convention or a 1,000-person convention, will it be half that? Will it be a third of that as people uh, are hesitant about paying the extra freight? So that's the difficulty for a meeting planner is they just don't know how many delegates they're going to get, not to mention they don't know what the barriers will be and and uh, there's right. lots of things to overcome. So it's still a difficult time for people. Well, thank you for taking the time today. I appreciate it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Thank you, Mike. I don't like obscenities just as much as you don't like them. No, it drives me crazy. I have kids. Right. I've got my little three-year-old, I'm going through the park, and someone's like, hey, my and the guys, you my you head. (laughs) Okay, that... That's from uh, uh, Parks and Rec, which is a, a very funny show. And many of us have been through a rough couple of years through the pandemic, uncertain economy, and people might be forgiven for losing their cool a little bit with their choice of language, shall we say, maybe cursing or swearing a little bit more than usual, dropping the occasional F-bomb here and there. You would think that might be the case, right? Well, let's find out what is happening when it comes to the use of curse and swear words in Canada. Brand new opinion poll out on this one. It's really interesting. Mario Canseco, president of the research company, did the survey. Mario, thanks for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. Great to be here. Okay, so the last couple of years, yeah, we have gone through a rough period of time in our country. Uh, you might People might be forgiven for, you know, spicing up their language a little bit. What did you find out in your survey? Well, that was what we were curious about. You know, we asked these questions back in 2019. And since then, you know, we faced pandemics, elections, the situation in the United States with Donald Trump, so many opportunities to swear at the state of affairs. And actually, the numbers are lower this year than they were back in 2019. So we see Canadians saying that they are not swearing as frequently as they did, but also saying that those that they talk with um, are not swearing as often as they did back in 2019. Okay, what did you find out? So let's talk, let's drill down a little bit in some of these numbers, Mario. So what did you find out from Canadians who say they often hear their friends swearing? Well, this one, we have 64% of Canadians who say that their friends frequently or occasionally swear when they are talking with them. Uh, The numbers are a little bit lower than the national average in BC at 59%. And there's definitely a generational thing. Uh, It goes all the way to 82% with those who are aged 18 to to 34, drops to 71% with middle-aged Canadians, and only 55% with those who are the age of 55. So you're talking to your friends. The younger you are, the more likely you are to drop some bombs. Okay, so it's the young it's the young people who are dropping more f bombs than than the older generation. What about uh, when you break it down by province? Wh- which province is swearing the most? 
Well, it's a little bit of a mixed bag when we're looking at specific things, because we do see a situation where British Columbia, for instance, is the place where people say they never swear during conversations with relatives, 41%. Uh, you go back to places like Quebec or the Maritimes, and the numbers are definitely lower. Uh, but when it comes to uh, the, the moment of, of actually talking with friends, uh, we do see Alberta climbing the charts at 72%. Um, Quebec is a little bit higher, too, at 59%. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag. I guess one of the things that is really consistent is the Maritimes. We do tend to see more people who are swearing more often and who say that their friends, relatives, co-workers, or even strangers that they meet on the street are swearing. Really? The Maritimes? Wow. Okay. Interesting. What about... You always do an interesting sort of breakdown on these numbers, Mario, including by political party preference. So let's let's dig into that. So when you take a look at which political party people support, how many of those people are sort of potty mouth people who are swearing a lot? Well, this was a very interesting one, because when we're talking about chats with friends, you know, people who voted for the NDP federally or the Conservatives federally in the last election, more than half of them, 52 and 51 percent respectively, say that they say say that they swear frequently or occasionally when they're chatting with friends. Forty six percent for those who voted for the Liberal Party. So there's a five and six point difference there. Who formed the government? Maybe that is one of the reasons for the NDP and the Tories to be swearing more often. <laughs> okay. okay, so if you support the federal Liberal Party, you're less likely to swear? Is that how yes, it works? But it's, yeah, and, and it's not necessarily because they're more polite. You know, there are certain moments when we do see the Liberal voters swearing more often, particularly when they're talking with relatives. 52% who say that they swear when they're talking with relatives, a little bit lower for Conservatives and also for New Democrats. So maybe with friends, uh, you're more likely to use those words, but um, when you're talking to your relatives, not that often. Okay, speaking to Mario Canseco from Research Company and the latest survey on swearing and use of curse words in Canada. If we take a look across the country, Mario, what about people who may maybe drop an f bomb in public? You know, I'm kind of I'm I'm sometimes kind of surprised by the way people will speak with in front of people they don't even know. But if you're speaking in public versus speaking like privately, is there a difference there in how how uh, how often people will curse or swear? Well, we could really slice the country into three very different groups. There's more than a third of us, thirty six percent who say that we always alter the way we speak uh, to make sure that we don't swear in public. Uh, this is higher with women at 39%. Uh, there's 49% of us, or roughly half of the country, who say that they sometimes alter the way they speak so as not to swear in front of certain people. A lot of young people on this group, 62%, so very cautious when it comes to young people swearing in, in front of others. And there's 15% of us who say we never alter the way they speak. Uh, we speak. Uh, if a swear word comes out, we don't worry about it. 17% with those over the age of 55. So congratulations to all the boomers. You've earned the right to say whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. What about, um, you do any gender breakdown on it? Like, do men swear more often than women? Yes, we do see that because there's only 34% of men who say that they always alter the way they speak to make sure they don't swear in public. And it's 39% with women. So definitely a little bit of a gender gap, not as, as significant as what we see with ages or with some regions, uh, but there's definitely more caution from women when it comes to using uh, swear words. Okay. And do any of these numbers surprise you? Like you mentioned that the trend lines here 
they seem to be going down, right? So is it fair to say that maybe Canadians are getting a little bit more polite or they're less likely to swear compared to previous surveys? Well, it definitely went against what I expected was going to happen. And I think part of it has a lot to do with uh, the situation that we find ourselves in the pandemic. You know, there's a lot of people who are working from home. It's a little bit more complicated to drop the casual swear word when you're in a Zoom meeting than when you're around the water cooler with your coworkers. So maybe the way we are dealing with each other has a little bit to do with the fact that we're not using these words as often as we used to. Okay, so the trend lines, I guess, going in the right direction if you don't like swearing <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see yeah your well I, I guess this is something that we'll have to check in the next couple of years but um it's it's starting to change i think one of the things that really struck me here was the regional breakdowns i didn't expect the maritimes to come out on top when it came to yeah. using swear words in every and any occasion right and British Columbia was, where were we on that ranks? Where was our ranking in Canada on swearing in British Columbia? Pretty much like the middle of the pack? Well, we do very well on a couple of things. You know, we're definitely less likely to swear when we're around our relatives. And I think this is really <laughs> striking. The numbers are fantastic for British Columbia. So maybe a little bit more about family values and the way we deal with each other. Because you go into other parts of the country and you're imagining the Thanksgiving dinners. Very different type of conversation compared to British Columbia. Mario, another interesting survey. Thanks for coming on to talk about it today. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime.